Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting from the Oilfield Expert Studios. Oilfield Experts, where you get the right products right now. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. And now it's time for me to welcome on my guest, Matt Oberdorf who is the founder of EOT, author of Industrial IoT Architect. You're an entrepreneur, Matt, investor. You do a lot in the uh, up-and-coming tech space, and so I'm glad to have you join me on the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. Well, I'm excited, too, because, you know, it, oil and gas is, a, is consistently evolving faster and faster, just like every other industry is. And in tech, it's really one of these uh, industries that is definitely is on the forefront. A lot of people don't think that when they think about oil and gas. They think of it as a dirty job or uh, sometimes these people are not well educated. And it, that couldn't be further than, from the truth. Your new book out, The Trailblazer's Guide to Industrial IoT, is talking about energy manufacturing and the digital transformation for leaders. And I want to get into that. But let's back up just a little bit before we get into the book. Talk about uh, everything internet and all of the new stuff coming out pertaining to uh, the internet. I want to start with, tell us a little bit about your background and EOT, if you can tell us first before we get into uh, our show today. Absolutely. So my background, as you can probably hear from my slight accent, I'm not from Texas. I am from Germany originally. Uh, currently, I'm based in San Diego, but I'm in Houston probably every other week. Okay. Um, and the reason is because uh, some of my customers are some of the biggest oil companies in the world. And so, uh, you know, a lot of face-to-face -face meetings after COVID. So background-wise, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've worked for large IT companies and, um, you know, uh, started m many other companies in, in my life. Regarding Embassy of Things or EOT, which is my current company, we started the company in 2018 in Houston, Texas, um, with a bunch of friends that are also kind of deep into the oil and gas industry and we were really thinking about starting a new company and the real reason we started it honestly was we we, we all had uh, a great exits from previous companies we, we wanted to start a company with people really we really like working with so that when you come to the office in the morning you actually see people that you like to see right <laughs> and, that's important <laughs> and then secondly because we, we also thought we kind of found one of the most overlooked problems in the oil and gas industry and could help a lot of uh, people to solve it. And that problem, to kind of just summarize it, is very simply to get data uh, from the oil fields, from, you know, literally the PLCs, the, the, the sensors that, you know, go and measure, you know, plunger cycles, tubing pressure, static pressure, differential pressure, flow rate, um, and, and bring that data into the cloud where you can actually use modern analytics and AI to analyze it and make sense out of it and um, and do some, you know, cool analytical, analytical insights uh, that help operators to um, prioritize what they should be working on, maybe help them, um, uh, you know, to prioritize, you know, which wells are in trouble, um, and so on and so forth. And also 
Another use case would be, um, you know, in, in drilling, right? In real-time drilling, there's a lot of data that comes in from actually figuring out um, how to optimize where the drill bit goes, you know, and, and that kind of stuff. So most companies that actually focus on that particular type of analytics uh, focus on the cool stuff, you know, the, 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 you know, what everybody talks about. So the AI, right? Um, the, the biggest problem though, is not the AI. The biggest problem is how do you get that data out of the very, very, you know, siloed and, and protected um, physical asset, right? Like there's, let's say an oil well that sits somewhere in East Texas or Haynesville or Eagle Ford or, you know, some of these places. And how do you get that, you know, in real time um, into the cloud so that you can actually apply the AI. That's not that easy. It's actually very, very complex. And so we and we call it plumbing. Uh, so our company focuses on plumbing. It's kind of like you want to buy a house that's all shiny. That's what we, you know, the, the shiny house is, is the AI, uh, but it always has to, you know, nobody wants to buy a house that has no plumbing inside that has no water. And in this case, water would be the data that you need to actually run the whole thing, right? So. We focus on plumbing, uh, bringing data in, in in this process of plumbing and transporting data from, um, you know, really the physical world into the digital world. We also help to actually apply AI and use it to uh, not only analyze the data and um, do anomaly detection, but we're also able to help with the simulation of future events. So how long is your oil well gotta, or your pump, your ESP, um, or, or your artificial lift, how long it's gonna run before it fails? And why will it fail? You know, what's the reason? Is it gonna run for three months, for two months? And what will be the first thing that's gonna happen, right? So we also are able to kind of help with that, um, making that kind of prediction. Uh, so I'm gonna stop here. Uh, it gives you a little bit of uh, idea about me and also what my company does. Well, thank you. You're making a lot of sense because a lot of us who um, are in the uh, energy sector, especially in oil and gas, we're all familiar with a very large association, trade association. It's kind of like the red carpet of oil and gas. It's Sarah Week. And they have a massive amount of data for you to learn of the technology that's evolving in this amazing sector. And a lot of it, you mentioned like digital twins, along with just the efficiency that we're seeing in the energy sector with them taking, like you said, the data from the well site, bringing it in and being able to detect if an equipment is going to go offline or like in the refineries, how to prevent that. Your equipment will last for a couple of more weeks after that. You're going to, uh, this part is going to need to be replaced. And so it's really streamlining efficiencies. The one thing I wonder about was uh, last week I had a show talking about cybersecurity. And, you know, in oil and gas, it's really important that they are competitive, too. Um, they're, they are there to make money. And so I wonder if any of uh, the, the digital data that you're seeing, and you, you shared with me some of the issues that they're having, but is one of those issues also how do they bring all of this stuff on take it into the cloud and make sure that it is secure as well in that area to where they are actually computing all this data, but it is safe as well from anyone getting access to it. Um, does this go further into that? Oh, absolutely. You mentioned, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned this. I mean, first of all, you know, some of the biggest issues come exactly from exactly this problem. So traditionally, 
the operational technology or so-called OT has been completely divided from IT in the same company. So let's say you have a big oil and gas company, there's an OT side, which is really where all the operational technology lives and where the operators work. They are measured on keeping the lights on, you know, uh, running running the show and yeah, making sure they are measured on actually operating the equipment, right? That's their job. If it goes down, they have a problem. And then if the IT side, the IT side is 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 the business systems and all that stuff. So typically there has been traditionally a large divide between the two and they cannot even talk to each other because of different firewalls. It all goes back to um, something called the Purdue model. I don't know if you ever talked about this in the show, but the Purdue model basically uh, was uh, was created to um, to really define how data can go from a very secure cyber secure place, you know, in the physical world to a business system on the IT side. And it has to cross certain boundaries. Uh, there's different kind of zones and layers in it. One is called the demilitarized demilitarized zone (DMZ), right? And so the data has to kind of pass through all of these different uh, you know, kind of layers to get from you know one side to the other side, and so cybersecurity is very, very important. That is actually, you know, uh, uh, not just in one place, but it's actually in every single layer. It's part of, you know, how you actually do it, and that's that's also, you know, a lot of what we do. Right in in our plumbing, it has to have uh, identity and and, and access management uh, for different systems it has to kind of translate stuff it you have to be able to encrypt the data streams and so on so very important thing the second thing that you mentioned the sarah week um mm -hmm. i i have seen you know in the last let's say five years um really a shift you know there there has been a lot of talk for many years um about the digital oil field right even i think 20 years ago and else is something else you mentioned at the beginning of the show that we see an acceleration of technology in the oil and gas industry, right? Yeah. Um, I, I recently was on a podcast and, um, and, and somebody said, in the oil and gas industry, it's like a glacier. It moves like speed of a glacier. And, and I said, oh, but the glacier is speeding up, you know, specifically in the last like five years, it has been speeding up quite a bit because, um, the um, if you if you actually look at you know what people presented it went from kind of high and wide visionary you know that's what we want to do and that's is our goal to actually having IoT platforms in place right that that really actually do what people dreamt about 20 years ago when they said digital oil field now with the you know, with the new AI, I call it actually the AI version 2.0 that allows you so much more than the AI version 1.0, right? And, and the 2.0 literally is available since this year, literally. Um, the acceleration of that glacier will be even more speeding up. People cannot not innovate anymore because it will be such a huge competitive uh, difference. Oh, even I can even imagine. Yeah. And, uh, and just thinking about the efficiencies on how they save money by doing this as well. Um, Matt, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, we'll pick this topic up. And I also want to start discussing net zero with, uh, with artificial intelligence in the cloud. You're listening to the Little Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. 
any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us, 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188. Hey, when you're in business, you have to make a lot of tough choices. So let's talk about an easy one, your workers' comp coverage. If you're a propane or butane dealer or operator, you need to join the Lone Star Energy Safety Group through Texas Mutual Insurance Company. As a member, you'll automatically get a discount on your premium, plus you can earn double dividends that will go straight into your pocket. It's the easiest decision you'll ever make. Find out more at TexasMutual.com slash Lone Star Energy. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Matt, before the break, uh, we, you were helping us understand how the oil and gas industry is really evolving very quickly into the tech space in, in utilizing the latest technologies pertaining to everything in the Internet. Your company specializes in this, as well as you have a new book out, uh, Trailblazer Guide for Industrial IoT. Let's um, continue on with the conversation. You were discussing how a lot of your customers in the oil and gas sector are utilizing, or they're just moving at light speed. Now you have a 2.0 as, a point, as opposed to the very first version of them moving super fast. Yeah. And I can only imagine it's so competitive for them too with, with needing to try to squeeze out every dollar because of course there's a lot of regulation uh, finances on the other side and lack of funding coming from uh, pressure from, uh, you know, uh, stocks and uh, companies not wanting to invest banks in some projects. So looking at the bottom dollar has become definitely something that they are all aware of. And it's very, very competitive in this space. So tell me again, or let's go back to that conversation. What does the 2.0 look like and how are they maximizing on their returns by by investing in the new technology? Yeah. So let, let's talk about the difference between AI 1.0 and 2.0. But before we do this, one thing about what oil and gas companies kind of face today versus also, you know, a few years ago, you know, I think today it's not only about, you know, improving production and increasing revenue or cost savings, you know, in OPEX or operational expenses, you know, cutting down that. These are traditional, very, you know, every company has that. It's what shareholders expect and so on and so forth. But now we also, uh, you know, in oil and gas specifically, uh, want to reduce the emissions and, and, and the carbon footprint. You know, some of our and customers. And be able to track it. Yes, be able to track it uh, so that you can actually say, you know, we reduce it by so much percent, uh, so many percent. Um, and some, some of our customers really have a goal to do net zero by 20 you know, 50 or even earlier than that. And uh, we want to help them to achieve that. The second part is health and uh, environment safety, right? So in addition to the, the emission reduction and carbon footprint reduction, you know, it's also important to um, to really think about the health of the workers and the people uh, and the environment around the industrial assets. You know, how, how, how do you 
How can you make that better? How can you reduce health safety issues, right? All of which can AI 2.0 help with, right? And so let's talk about the difference between these two AIs. So traditionally, AI 1.0, and I'm just going to give you an example so to illustrate what the difference is. So originally, AI 1.0 was able to um, detect anomalies, to say it simply. So you basically take a lot of historical data, so like what happened in the past, let's say of 20,000 oil wells, and you train an AI model, and the AI model has one job, which is to basically say, oops, that doesn't look right, it's wrong, there's a problem, right? So the AI 1.0 can be trained to do this, and then you can, after you train the AI model to be able to do this, you can basically put this AI model in uh, to work to, to really analyze incoming real-time data. And so you have all the 20,000 oil wells that have data coming in, you know, to monitor their sensors and the AI was a, you know, problem over here, you know, potentially it's, you know, uh, something simple. There's the plunger cycle is off. You can optimize something, a couple of set points and, and so on and so forth. Or, you know, there's something severely wrong or whatever, right? So it can detect anomalies and that's great. AI 2.0 can do something far more powerful. And what it can do, it basically can predict the future out of the past. So if you've ever used chat GPT, which mm -hmm. stands for, for generative pre-trained transformer models, then you notice that if, if you get an answer for a question you ask, it's not just a canned, you know, piece of text that was found somewhere on the internet. It's literally generated newly based on all information that that, you know, that AI model learned. So it actually generates new, it, it puts things together, like one plus one is two, and it actually tells you the answer too. Even though it may have never found the answer is two, it will tell you the answer is two. Um, now, these large language models are largely not applicable or usable for the oil and gas industrial IoT thing because they are language-based. So when you use ChatGPT, it's all text. It learns from text. It produces text. Unfortunately, um, the machines don't you know, talk in text. They talk in numbers. Like if you look at a tubing pressure or a static pressure that comes from an oil pump, right? it's all loading point real time, uh, uh, real numbers, right? So doubles is a 3.5, you know, or whatever, right? It's not text. Now, there is in AI 2.0, a similar type of GPT, generative pre-trained transformer model uh, available for numbers that exists already today. So what you can do is you can use that uh, so it kind of works like chanting, yeah. but it works for numbers. And so now you can ask that um, trained model questions. So let's say you train it on 20,000 wells. You can ask questions when 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 the data comes in from 20,000 wells. You can say, which of my 20,000 wells are going to fail first? That is amazing. When yeah. are they going to fail and why are they going to fail? 
Okay. Yeah. So now, mm-hmm. now in addition to that, the these models give you always a certainty index, meaning like ChatGPT, if it gives you an answer, doesn't mean it's correct. But sometimes, you know, ChatGPT makes stuff up. So internally, it uses an index that tells you how certain it is itself uh, that the answer is actually correct. So wow. you yeah. get you get the same thing for the number-based GPT, right? So you get basically a prediction, okay, we have 20,000 oil wells. These are the 100 oil wells that are going to fa- fail first. And for each of the wells, you get a certainty, you know, with 50% certain it's going to happen in three months. And we have, you know, thirty percent certain it's going to be that particular problem, right? So you get you get a prediction, you get a um, a certainty on each of the predictions, um, yeah. and that gives you an idea. Go ahead. I can't imagine what's that worth when you think about before that they just had to wait until equipment went offline because it broke down. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's inefficient, and now this has changed it all. Matt, let's take a quick break. When we come back. I also want to talk about industrial IoT projects, the failed ones, and what to do about it as well. Uh, Let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Oil Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. We're back. You're listening to the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Matt Oberdorfer. Matt, let's go back to the conversation about how this 2.0 version is really becoming a game changer for the industry in amazing ways. Uh, we were on break and you were telling me about this amazing technology. And it does, it, it, it's amazing how, how fast it's changing, how it's changing in efficiency, as I said earlier, but also just the difference between a human looking at this data, artificial intelligence looking at it, and being able to tell with more of a precise what's going to happen. Tell me how CEOs are utilizing this. It's a game changer according to you. And I can yeah. see it. Yeah, I mean, the biggest, the biggest change is the following, and that's why I believe that you know, nobody can hide from innovation anymore, right? So even uh, the most kind of, you know, laggardy backwards, you know, we're going to get a color TV after everybody else has one uh, kind of person <laughs> would say, okay, now we, we, now we get to do it. We got to move from the black and white TV to a color TV now. Uh, so th- here's why. Um, imagine you have 20,000 wells and you have, you say, look, I have the best people in the world. They're going to, they, they monitor you know, they are like the beautiful mind guy, you know, they look at the chart and they see something is wrong with this well, right? Mm-hmm. They can do this in a very, um, you know, a, you know, daily basis. I and mean, there are companies that have people that do this every day. They just look at these charts and they, you know, figure out what's wrong. Uh, that's great. And that's what you can do with AI uh, version 1.0, uh, right? Now with 2.0, to actually predict when your oil wells are going to fail all the time and what the certainty is and which ones are failing because of what reason is something that's very, you know, advanced. And it's very hard uh, to even imagine there's, there are humans that can do it, but to do this in scale, to actually watch 20,000 wells, I think there's no, nobody that actually can do this. So um, because in terms of, benefit for the company, for the CEOs. I mean, you can plan, if you know which oil wells are going to fail with what uh, certainty, um, you can play, plan your workovers, you can plan what uh, parts to order, where they go. Uh, you can uh, plan the, the, the groups uh, that uh, maintain 
um, you know, the equipment, the tanks, you know, anything can be scheduled in advance because you know already what's going to happen. You can preempt all of these things. So the entire supply chain can actually be optimized to do this, right? So it's, a, it's a big deal uh, in terms of cost savings, in terms of opt uh, production optimization, and, and you know, let let alone downtime, right? So, so that part is just um, the game changer part. Now, one thing that's also very important to notice: the insights and advice and suggestions created by the AI itself is there to help and augment the operator's actions. So you still will need someone that actually goes to a well and does something, right? It's the AI doesn't do the work. It doesn't do the things. And yeah. it might, there might, there, there will be still people that actually look at the wells and look at the data. It's like, yep, I can see it now. I can see it. It's kind of like when you have a self-driving car, you still have a driver that actually says where you're going to go and, you know, is it the right way? And, you right. know, I'm not, I'm not ready for that. Yet. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> you still have some, some, someone in complete control and, um, and, and lo looks at the suggestions of an AI and say, is that helpful or not? And if it's not helpful, they can absolutely discard it, right? So this is really to help operators prioritize what they should look at, right? Not to replace them because ultimately they are the ones that actually are needed to make the decision. It's kind of like if you, I, I always think operators are kind of like doctors. They diagnose what's wrong. They, they the patient is the oil well, right? <laughs> And they and they 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 need to understand that patient. They need to understand it. That you know, AI and AI two point zero is just another tool. Now you have maybe uh, something like an X ray device that you didn't have before. You know, before you only had a stethoscope or something like that. Now you have an X ray machine at your disposal. You've got everything. Well, um, it seems like we keep having to take breaks, but we're going to have to take another one. But you know, what you did answer in the segment was pretty much that you really could have a successful strategy. Um, now, getting a digital strategy in place is probably where your company comes in. But once it's implemented, you really are uh, the ones that are, you know, your company is really going to be the successful one that's going to have the data to have a successful plan versus the ones like you said, is it time for us to get in line to go to Walmart to buy that color TV with everybody else? Because <laughs> The time has arrived. Um, when we get back from break, uh, let's get into the death traps of for companies who don't want to do this or what are the uh, digital transformation projects that are happening. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to an oil petri dish. We'll be right back. Attention small and medium-sized business owners. Are you feeling overwhelmed with back office tasks like payroll, workers' compensation, federal regulations, safety laws, employment standards, and benefits? Don't worry, Unique HR has your back. For over 30 years, our team of qualified professionals has been providing people-centered solutions to help businesses like yours navigate the heavy burden of running a business and managing their workforce. We're the PEO with a pulse, and we are just a phone call away. Call us today at 361-852-6392. Unique HR, the partner you can trust and we're back you're listening to in the oil patch radio show matt before the break um you know you you covered a lot of how companies can really drill down into getting to their net zero through uh artificial intelligence and the cloud and then of course having a great pr company or their team put it together of how they're going to you know make this track 
you've also talked to us about some of the you know opportunities that uh, energy companies have to take advantage of this new technology and make sure that their operations are not only uh, free from uh, you know breakdowns or being taken offline, but also efficiencies and uh, profitability is also coming into play. But there are, like with anything, there are things that companies need to avoid, uh, which uh, in your book you specifically are talking about death traps and landmines for digital transformation projects. And I think maybe what this time what a listener might be thinking is, is similar to what I'm thinking is, can you give me some examples of like how an industrial data strategy should look like. Um, and so they can kind of understand we don't have any of this or we have a few items we don't have all of this. So tell right. us a little more about that. Yeah, so absolutely. So there's, there's I, I, you know, I, I want to mention two particular death traps to completely avoid, right? So, uh, and then we talk also about the industrial data strategy and, and how that actually uh, relates to these. So the first one is, um, in the past, I've been involved in, you know, many different industrial tra digital transformation projects, and and uh, companies want to adopt, you know, new technology and and so on. And there are two approaches that typically always, in some way, fail. Um, the first one is, you start a digital transformation project, and uh, the first thing you say is, okay, we we need, uh, you know, we need a use case. And so you bring in some consultant and uh, the, the consultant um, sets up discovery workshops and everybody in the company gets interviewed, you know, what are use cases that can help us save money, you know, make more money, go, you know, go down and reduce carbon emissions or, you know, make the company more healthy or whatever, right? So I call it death by discovery. You have so many people that for you know weeks, sometimes months, uh, getting interviewed, and you create this laundry laundry list of potential use cases um, that you could do, um, and then the big death trap is you turn around and you say, "Let's build a solution that can do all of it, everything." Right. So you basically um, okay. the, the biggest problem with this is, let's say you're an architect. And uh, and you interview different people and say, yeah, you know, we want to build a building, um, and you know you interview everybody, you, you know, in the neighborhood. It's like, what building should it be? One person says, should be a hospital because I'm a doctor and I work in a hospital. And the other one, you know, wants to build an apartment building. The third one is an office building. The 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 the, the next one wants to build a, a parking garage, and the next one wants to build this. And so you end up with a building that's supposed to be absolutely everything that you can imagine that building potentially could be, right? And then if you want to build that building, it will normally, A, take forever, okay? Yeah. Will cost an enormous amount of money um, and be targeted in the, in the way, in, you know, in, in its um, in building it, in the process of building it, there will be so many challenges uh, that typically it, it fizzles out after two or three years and nobody's going to do anything. Um, so that that's a big problem. So I've seen, uh, pro and, and I mean, there are public, if you actually ever Google the industrial IoT projects that feel there are public projects where a company really literally poured billions of dollars into building this boil the ocean type of solution. So never ever do that, right? You start 
uh, in a different way. The, the, uh, and I'm going to talk about that in a second. The other problem, the other typical thing is um, where people say, you know, let's, let's not worry about use, use cases at all. Let's first figure out how to get data uh, from all the oil wells into the IT systems. And then when we have the data, all the data coming in into a data lake and so on, then we're going to talk to use how to use it. But that is typically also an absolute failure. Normally never, ever, ever, ever is successful because by the time you have data in, in the IT systems and you show that to some of the users, they're like, I don't know what it is. It doesn't actually, um, it's not compatible with our application. We use this other database in another format and the, the frequency the data comes in, the way how it's structured, totally not usable for us. So thank you, but we are, we are not a user. So, so the problem with that approach is without a use case, you can also not succeed. So the question is not, you know, the question is what kind of use case should you start with? My recommendation is start with one, two, or three specific use cases. Involve the users from the beginning. Um, and only focus on getting that implemented as fast as possible. If you have that up and running in a couple of months and the users inside the company say, yep, we're saving us money, even if it's just a little bit, uh, you can use that as, you know, your, uh, it builds your credentials. It's, it, 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 it builds your success inside the company and you can add more and more use cases and other departments and so on, they, they're going to come to you. It's like, hey, can we do this also for our department? Can we actually support this application? Can we integrate it into, into this system? But you need a quick win with something that is real. So last, last uh, thought on this is how do you pick the first three use cases, right? Also death trap, right? Because if you look at the laundry list and like, let's pick the, the use case that brings in the biggest money. Wrong. You should not do that because that typically involves the most systems uh, and the most people, right? In fact, if you have a, you know, if you have a laundry list of use cases that are, you know, that you can uh, sort and order by the amount of money it saves or makes, then do it again. But in this time, estimate the time it takes for you to actually successfully implement a end-to-end -end solution. So if you sort it that way, where you actually Think about what, which one can I do the fastest that at the same time has for the speed, the biggest return on investment for the company start yeah. with that one. That one is your winner, not the I one that start has- Start with calling you first. <laughs> technical. I wonder, we're going to get ready for break, Mark, but I wonder how many companies call you like from another company. We're a mess. Can you come over? And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's take a quick break. When we return, I want to talk about some of the case studies too. Uh, you're listening to an oil patch radio show. We'll be right back. Are you a business owner feeling overwhelmed where to begin your business's online presence? Maybe you've spent thousands of dollars in the past just to be highly disappointed with the results. We understand because we were once you. Since then, we decided to hire the very best experts to help us and you. Let us send you our business profile that will quickly show you your Google business rankings in these five areas. Reputation, ratings online, website, 
advertising and social media, and search engine optimization. All of these areas really affect how Google ranks your entire listing. So if ranking on page one is your goal, pick up the phone and call us now, 210-240-7188, or simply go to shalemag.com slash business profile. We'll be in contact with you within 24 hours. Once again, pick up the phone and call us now, 210-240-7188, or simply go to shalemag.com. That's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com slash business profile. Start dealing with a company you can trust and always find. We're back. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio show. Matt, this is winding down. We're winding down at the end of the show, and I did want to give you some time to talk about your latest book, uh, Trailblazer Guide to Industrial IoT. And by the way, you know, I just want to say thank you on behalf of just looking at the energy industry. While I don't work in it, I report on it and I cover it. And it seems to me as though uh, it's a really troubling time for the energy industry to, you know, tell the general public all the amazing things that they are doing for the very people who consume their product, right? right. Uh, but you have come up, you know, your, your company uh, is doing a, a great thing in helping these companies get better at uh, measuring that data efficiency returns. And, I, and even with efficiencies, it's also, I can see where you're lower, you're helping companies lower their uh, uh, carbon footprint as well through these very uh, techie type of new products that are coming on. Talk to me a little bit about the book. Yeah, why write the book? There are so many industrial IoT books out there. Um, for me, the book was an answer, an answer to you know, being the witness to many of these projects and the reasons why they went like they went. So if you expect a book that is about technology like you know, how to use MQTT protocol to take data from PLCs to SCADA systems. This is not the book. This book is actually a novel. It's a, it has a storyline. It's actually a real book with protagonists and antagonists. It has a story it, it, that is structured in a way um, that it's entertainment and education at the same time. I don't know if you've ever read a book called The One Minute Manager. It's a book by Ken Blanchard, one of my favorite authors, um, that really kind of you know, explains how to manage people and projects and other things. And the way how it was written is that you actually have a story and a, a person that kind of experiences. So this book is the same way. It starts out with our hero, which is a trailblazer who sits in a nondescript office in a large Texan city um, and uh, sits in the office tower in his office and uh, finds a message on a whiteboard that says, do we really need industrial IoT and AI to you know, save the company, humanity, you know, carbon footprint and all that stuff? So this person, the trailblazer, goes on a journey, you know, talks to his team, they think about what it would take, how it would help. Uh, in, in the process of this journey, you, the reader, actually learn about it, right? So you learn about what is it? What is industrial IoT? Why is it important? What is AI? How does it work? You know, all that stuff. And then, of course, there is a competitive organization inside the same company uh, that wants to do the same thing. So now you have two departments in the same company competing with each other, which is very typical, right? So they, they, they um, um, basically um, make proposals and, uh, and, and, and the whole story begins. The story really follows what's called the hero's journey, which is a way a, a lot of stories are told uh, uh the hero's journey um 
yeah, is, is basically a conceptual way of telling of storytelling that is used by Star Wars and the Matrix, um, uh, authored by Joseph Campbell, that's the author of the, the Hero's Journey that kind of laid the groundwork for storytelling. So the book is really a story that follows that story arch. Um, in in the uh, in the separate chapters, you learn about use cases, you learn about failures, you learn about technologies, and so. The, the the way how it is structured to really describe what are what are very very typical situations you might run into when you are in digital transformation project. If you want to build a cloud historian, you want to build a digital twin, uh, you want to build an industrial data lake. You probably will find situations in this book where you're like, "Yep, let's meet in a meeting." You know, that's exactly what happened. So, um, in this book, um, it, it's also about you know what kind of use cases. Uh, and what are what are use cases today that that we have, right? Uh, and I can just tell um, a little bit about use cases that we currently um, support. Um, and there's a large list of uh, of of use cases that go from the daily morning report, uh, you know, that every oil and gas company has in morning, from the production from yesterday to monitoring uh, water tanks, you know, or you know, chemical injections or whatever, right? So, so for us. Um, the the use case, each of these use cases has a specific return on investment attached to it. Each of them goes through this process where we actually say, what is the correct data we have to fetch um, on the you know in the on the uh, physical side, and what of that data has to go to the digital side, and to which application does it have to go? So this is for specifically for production monitoring and reporting. Other use cases are really more upstream or midstream, uh, where you you know basically and let's say um, or, or real time drilling. Right in real time drilling, the use cases are uh, literally how do you how do you do anomaly detection or help assist with the actual uh, uh, drilling. So the difference between the first use cases and real time drilling is that the amount of data uh, is enormous in real time drilling. You have sub second data. It's not just you know, every minute there's a pressure coming in. I mean, the oil level, uh, the water level in a tank doesn't cha change per second or sub-second, but in drilling, you have hundreds of values that change every single second. So, you know, we bring in about a billion, two billion records per day uh, of data to just support a real-time drilling uh, versus, you know, uh, maybe, uh, you know, a few million uh, for, for uh, production operations. Out of the data that you're supplying them daily and the efficiencies and making right. sure that equipment don't, you know, doesn't break down or anything, is that also though, in my mind, I'm seeing it's also very trackable and data to also show how they're also taking this path also towards net zero as well. And it's very easy for them to not only, you know, say it, but show it in real data. Oh, 100%. So another use case is exactly that. So uh, emissions reporting, emissions reduction, right? So for instance, reducing flaring, you know, is, is, is you can measure it, you can track it, you can, uh, you know, I mean, one of our customers replaced, you know, equipment to reduce flaring, and then you can also report it because, like, legally, you have, it's mandatory that you reduce, uh, that you report your emissions, you know, otherwise you know, penalty, penalties and all I get good stuff or bad stuff happens to you, right? So uh, that's absolutely another use case, and you know, without tracking. Without being able to actually see the changes that you make in the field uh, come to fruition and and then report it back, 
there, there's no there's no point in actually even trying to do it. I mean, you could do something good for the environment, but you're not going to get the benefit if you don't track it and you don't report it, right? So, yes, absolutely. So we're at the end of our show, Matt. Thank you for joining me. Before we leave, where can our listeners find your book? And you did promise to send me a book. <laughs> um, so the book will be, it's not yet uh, publicly available, but the, the book will be available on Amazon and you can just order it. Uh, it's called The Trailblazer's Guide to Industrial IoT. There's also a website that you can go to, to thetrailblazersguide.com that has a countdown <laughs> uh, when it's going to be available. So you can go there to, to get uh, some more information. Um, and uh, it would be great, you know, any feedback, um, you know, if you want to support it, it would be great. Um, it was, it's a fun project that uh, many people helped actually uh, uh, developing. So including when are we going to see a 3.0? <laughs> the industry of what's going to happen. Will that be this yes. year? Will be next year? Because things are happening and evolving so fast. That's I'm correct. sure there's more efficiencies to be found. Yes. So be sure to come back when we're on a 3.0 and let us know. Okay, we got some updates here, but thank you for uh, what you do for the industry and uh, helping them really how they're decreasing uh, their carbon footprint. Thank you again for being a guest on the new Catch Radio Show. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. It was exciting. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk soon. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.